want to give parents a heads up. Uh, I'm going to show a couple of clips from the Passion of the Christ that are kind of intense. So if you're on the line, whether your kid would go to the kids' service or not, this might be the Sunday to do that. Uh, it's nothing really off the rails as far as overly violent, but it's a little intense. So just want to give you that heads up about that. We're continuing our discussion in the Gospel of Mark and the remarkable life of Jesus Christ. And if you are new to Christianity, or maybe you're exploring Christianity, you're not really sure where you're at, I just want to let you know you're in a great place this morning because we welcome skeptics, we welcome questions, we welcome those who are new to Christianity and exploring because we believe that the number one reason to become a Christian is Jesus himself. And if you will reach out to him in your heart, he will make himself real to you. And we believe that with all our heart because we've experienced that. We want you to experience that too. We are all sinful people who've been saved by a wonderful Savior. Uh, as we say on the sign out front, no perfect people allowed. <laughs> if you're perfect, you're pro that's the only person that's in the wrong place this morning. Everybody else, you're, we're all together with broken lives trying to put all our pieces together with the help of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. So we are going to be in, uh, in Mark chapter 14. We will finish the chapter today. And I'm going to read for you a lot of scripture, okay? And, but we don't have a problem with that, right? That's the best part of the sermon is the word of God. So we're going to go through this. And there are some really powerful lessons from this passage for us. And some things that we will learn about our Savior this morning, maybe you didn't know before. Uh, but let's dive in. And so get your seatbelts on and let's, let's follow along on Mark chapter 14. You can see it on the screen or follow along on your device. So Jesus after he had spent a night in prayer, he says, okay, rise. Let's, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. Mark reminds us of that he's one of the twelve three times. And with him, a crowd of, with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and they seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword, one of the disciples, Peter, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against, uh, as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all, the disciples, all left him and fled. And a young man followed him, and with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led to Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against him to put, against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying... We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. 
And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warning, warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean, and went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And then we're all going to read the last verse together. Would you join me on verse 72? And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Father, give us wisdom this morning because there's so much in this passage to learn. To learn about you. To learn about us. To learn about how we can be bold Christians and not be those who deny you. So Father, open our ears this morning. Open our hearts. Help us to understand the things that we don't know. In Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen. So last Sunday, we made a major contrast between two gardens. The Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. Adam and Eve in the garden, did they pass their test? No, they failed miserably. Jesus in the garden, did he pass the test? Yes, Jesus is the second Adam. He did what Adam could not do and did not do, and he proved that he was the savior of the world by what he went through in the garden as God created Adam and Eve to be the perfect human beings that they did not become. And so Jesus Christ became that perfect human being and succeeded in the garden where Adam and Eve had failed. So last week was about two gardens. Today is a tale of two failures, Peter and Judas Iscariot. Both of them failed miserably. But as you know, one of them turned it around and, and one did not. And that's who we're going to talk about. All throughout history, there's been infamous traitors, people who have betrayed their nation or their people for various reasons. One of the first pair that's famous in history is Cassius and Brutus, and they produced fake letters outlining people's support for Caesar's death. Uh, and Brutus decided to act on th this misguided sense of, of honor and on what's called the Ides of March, March 15th, 44 B.C., before Christ. Brutus led a group of senators to, to assassinate Caesar. And so they were traitors that are infamously known throughout history. Anybody know who this guy is? 
Benedict Arnold, good for you. Um, Elvis, you win the, 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 the prize for winning trivia this morning. So our Benedict Arnold betrayed America by offering to sell plans about a fort, including the location uh, and the armament of, of stores that were in, in the Revolutionary War. And so he betrayed his country there. He went on to move to England and to side with England on, on those forces right there. Um, this guy right here, um, Ezra Pound, he was one of the most influential voices in the 20th century in English and American literature, and he publicly supported Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Imagine that. He won prizes for being a, a, liter, you know, a renowned poet in America, but a lot of people in that category are. But anyway, as World War II broke out, uh, he, the Italian government paid him to produce radio broadcasts that insulted the U.S., and supported fascism. And after hundreds of these broadcasts, Pound was finally arrested in 1945 by Americans in Italy for betraying his nation. Anybody know who this guy is? Yeah, you're close. Um, so this is one of the most recent um, betrayers of his nation. In fact, he was a, a spy against America for over 20 years. Robert Hansen, 25-year FBI agent, and a church-going family man was also a longtime double agent for the Soviet Union. Hansen worked as a liaison between the FBI and the office responsible for tracking the identity of the spies working in the U.S., and by the early 2000s, investigators believed that he had spent 20 years sharing state secrets. They suspected he'd revealed the identities of dozens of Soviet agents working for the U.S., which led to them being killed. But the most infamous traitor of all time is Judas Iscariot. And Mark tells us several times he was one of the 12. One of the 12. Can you imagine spending three and a half years under the ministry of Jesus Christ only to betray him? Three and a half years and you're still lost. Three and a half years and you can turn your back on Jesus Christ. Which tells us that People who are not right with God, it's not because they don't have enough information. People who are not right with God, it's not always because, well, if they just heard better teaching, can you get better than Jesus' teaching? People prove to us over and over again, and we do it ourselves, that we can be under the, the teaching of the Word of God, we can be in the presence of Jesus Christ, and still betray Him. Because we are stubborn. Because we are sinful, because we are rebellious and we do what we want to do. People aren't always choosing wrong just because of economic oppression or choosing wrong because they don't have enough information. We choose wrong because we're human and we are rebellious and stubborn and sinful creatures. So here in Mark chapter 14, in this, these, this section, we can divide up into three categories, okay? And we'll go through these three points. First of all, there's the satanic betrayal. We call it a satanic betrayal because the other gospel, Luke, tells us that Satan entered into Judas. When you choose to go down an evil path, Satan will join you on that, and you're inviting his presence in your life. Then we look at the scandalous trial, and thirdly, we'll look at the sad denials, the sad denials. So let's start with this satanic betrayal. It says, Jesus says, rise. So he had just got, fell and collapsed under the weight of all the pressure in the garden. He is under so much physical stress and emotional stress that he is sweating great drops of blood. He, he's about to have a, a, literally a nervous breakdown physically. The only thing that gets him through to where he can rise up is he spent time with his father. 
He spent time in prayer with his heavenly father, which gave him the strength to rise up and say, hey, let's go. Let's go out to meet them. He's not hiding behind a tree, trying to evade capture. He is going out to meet Judas and, and these hundreds of soldiers head on. He says, my betrayer. He says it in a personal way. He doesn't say the betrayer. He says, my betrayer. And the reason he says my betrayer is because there's several prophecies we covered last week that were prophesied that one of the 12 would betray Jesus and this was the guy. This is the one that before the foundations of the earth, it was pre-established that Judas would be the guy. And yet Judas still had a choice in all the matter. And so then we see in verse 43, and so immediately while Jesus is saying, hey, he's coming, sure enough, Judas came. And again, what does it tell us? He is what? One of the, the 12. Keep that in the back of your mind because that's super important. Because even amongst us, there could be one who's, been here for years with us who really doesn't know Jesus. Someone who's going through the motions or just trying to be religious or they're trying to put on a show or they're just here because their family's here and yet they don't know Christ. My, my biggest fear as a pastor is that when we stand before the great white throne, we stand before Jesus and someone who's part of Revolution Church is, is sent away and Jesus says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And I'd be like, What? Oh my gosh, they were, they were part of us. They were right there serving with us and they didn't know Jesus. And that, what a heartbreaking thing that would be. And so, again, my, my plea to every single one of you, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm picking on anybody in particular, if you don't know Christ, even if you think everybody thinks you do. <laughs> I was a part of a church years ago where after eight years, the church secretary got saved. She'd been in that church for 25 years and she got saved. Everybody thought she was, but she knew she was just going through the motions. God forbid that any of us are playing that role. In fact, you see uh, in the Gospels these phrase, seven times the phrase one of the twelve in reference to Judas. Mark uses it three times. The other Gospel writers, Matthew, Luke, and John, use it as well. Seven times, that number is significant, right? It talks about Judas as he's one of the twelve. Well, you know that, but it keeps reinforcing about the idea that there could be someone who claims to be a Christian even a disciple of Jesus Christ and not really be a true believer. Matthew talks about how there's the parable of the, the tares and the wheat. And it's an enemy came out into the wheat field and sowed weeds amongst the, 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 the wheat field. And they came to the field and said, hey, look, there's a problem here. Should we tear it all up? He said, no, no. Just let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest, I will tell the reapers to gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles and let them be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The burning is a picture of hell. The barn is a picture of heaven. And there are people who are growing up together. And if you look at tares, they look an awful lot like wheat. But at the judgment, the two will be separated. And so I'm pleading with everyone, if you don't know Christ, make sure it's a genuine, real decision. It's your faith is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ alone. Not your goodness, not your baptism, but in the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his grace. Matthew 7.15 says, beware of false prophets who come to you. He's warning the churches that someday people will come in amongst you and they will be sheeps in wolves' clothing. And inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. They're there to, de to destroy the flock. But they look like one of us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that there's people that are false apostles, apostles and they're, they're deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. This is, this is common amongst our, our world today. People who claim to be Christian, who claim to be apostles, 
but they're false. This is nothing new. Paul and Jesus both warned us about this. Galatians, Paul writes to that church. He said, because of false brothers, people who claim to be Christian, but they're not, they secretly were brought in, brought in by Satan, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. They come to destroy the gospel. And then the scariest verse in all the scripture to me, verse chapter 7 of Matthew, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now, whenever you say something twice, that's emphasis. You know, if I said, hey, Tammy, or Tammy, Tammy, you know, that just shows passion. It shows intensity. There's all, you know, David, when, when his son Absalom had died, what did he say? Oh, Absalom, Absalom. So all throughout the Bible, when you see someone's name repeated, it shows passion, it shows emotion. So here's these people with emotion saying, Lord, Lord. And yet he says, not all those people who passionately cry out to Jesus will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You can be passionate about something and be passionately wrong. And here he goes on to say, and on that day, the judgment day, how many? Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works? Wow, that's a pretty impressive resume when you say prophesying, casting out demons, mighty works, which means miracles. And look how were all these works done in the name of Jesus. And yet he will say to these people, depart from me, I never knew you. That's, that's, that's ought to cause reason for self-examination. That all of us should look at ourselves. Not look at someone and say, hey, I bet he's talking about that person. Or I bet that person, they're a false believer. No, you know where we should look? Look in the mirror. Jesus, do I really know you? Was I truly born again? Or did I just go forward at camp and pray a prayer because all my friends did? And I think now I'm saved because of that. You should look really hard. Paul says, let a man examine himself to see if he's in the faith. So we're back to our passage here. It says, and immediately while he was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs. Now those details are important because Jews were forbidden to carry swords. Who was allowed to carry swords? Romans. So the Romans are in on this betrayal now. And those who carried clubs were the, the guards of the temple, the Jews. So you got Jews and Romans working together to betray the Christ. These people hated each other. Jews and Romans hated each other. But now all of a sudden they're working together. And it's in, isn't interesting out in the world there, people who will become allies against Christianity. Two groups of political people who don't even like each other. All of a sudden, when it comes to standing against Jesus, standing against life, standing against uh, traditional marriage, any, you name your issue, it's interesting what allies will pull together. So even you have here the chief priests, okay, which is Annas and Caiaphas. And by the way, you will hear skeptics say, oh, well, who's the chief priest? Annas or Caiaphas? There's a contradiction in the Bible. No, it's not. <laughs> you know how today, we, who's our president of the United States? Joe Biden, right? And yet on the news the other day, I said, they said, President Barack Obama said, had this to say. Is that a contradiction? Who's the president? No. In America, our tradition is once you have the title of president, you always have the title of president, even if you're not actively the president. Well, Caiaphas was the active high priest, but Annas was behind the scenes still being politically influential. So there's no contradiction there. It's interesting. 
Anytime you hear a contradiction in the Bible, again, 99% of them can be solved if you just read the Bible a little bit further. But don't listen to the skeptics. Anyway, and so there's the scribes and there's the elders, which represented the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all different factions of, Christ, of, of Judaism at that time that didn't get along, but now they're all pulling together against Christ. And they're coming to him. This is probably a couple hundred, at least, if not up to several, 500 maybe, soldiers and of the temple and of the Roman guard coming together. Why such a crowd? Why swords? Why clubs? I think they were expecting a revolution, but I also think they were prepared if Jesus pulled off one of his miracles. And of course, we know in one of the other Gospels that it says that they say, Jesus goes out and says, well, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus. And he said, I am. And what happened to all the soldiers? They fell over. His words knocked them down. They fell over backwards. And so I think they're prepared for that as well. And says the betrayer, Judas, had given them a sign because he didn't want to, he wanted to be able to sneak up on Jesus without it being like obvious what he was coming for. Of course, Jesus knew. And it, of course, what did he choose to betray him with? A kiss. Now, in our culture, that seems really weird for a man to kiss a man, but we know in the rest of the world, in, especially in Europe and other places, and, and in the Middle East, men kiss each other on either cheek. And that this would be a normal greeting in many ways. But Judas says to seize him. You know, he wants Jesus handcuffed in chains and bound because he knows Jesus is powerful. He does, he's totally underestimating the real power of Jesus. And he says, and lead him away under guard. All of a sudden, Judas is giving orders to these Roman soldiers. He's giving orders to the temple guard. I think Judas is afraid of retaliation. Like, oh, I just betrayed him. I hope he doesn't hit me. You know, I hope he doesn't speak a miracle against me or do something like that. And what's interesting about his betrayal of the kiss, you see, a slave would kiss a master's foot. Remember Mary at Jesus, what did she do? She kissed his feet. She saw herself as a slave of Jesus, a servant of Christ. Um, a student would kiss a rabbi's hand, often kiss the ring or their hand, showing respect. Judas should have done one of these two. But what does Judas do? He kisses him on the cheek, showing he's an equal. You see, that's the error that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You shall be like God. And in our rebellion, whether you're saved or, or even if you're a Christian, the rebellion of our heart is we want to be God. We're like, this is my life. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live the way I, I don't. I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to do this. What, 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 what are we doing there? We're saying I'm God. I'm at least equal with God. <laughs> Isn't that the sin of Satan? I shall be like the Most High. And he exalted himself. So even if you've been a believer for 40, 50 years, check yourself when you make decisions without consulting and submitting to the will of God. Because what we're trying to do is be like a Judas that, that see we're equal with God. That Yeah, Jesus makes some choices in my life, but I make some choices as well. It's, it's not a good situation to be in. So he calls him rabbi, like he just has this fake respect, and he kissed him, and they land hands on him, and they seized him. In Luke 22, he adds a detail where Jesus says, Judas, you're going to betray me with a kiss? And to put it in modern terms, really? <laughs> you're going to betray me this way? You don't even have the guts 
to say, hey, there's Jesus, arrest him because he's a bad guy. You're going to come up and act, give me all this fake Christianity? You're going to act like you're really religious and all of a sudden and show me respect, call me rabbi or teacher, and you're going to kiss me on the cheek? That's how you're going to choose to betray us? It says, but one of those who stood by, and of course we know from the other Gospels, it's Peter. He drew his sword. And you say, why does Peter have a sword? Do you know whose idea it was for Peter to have a sword? It was Jesus's. Okay? So for those of you who believe in the, in the pacifist Jesus, it was Jesus that says, hey, how many swords do you have? And they said, we have two. And he said, that's good enough. Jesus was, he said, two swords is good enough. Good enough for what? A revolution? No. Good enough for self-defense? Yes. So Jesus is definitely all for defending yourself. That's all he wanted Peter to do. He didn't want Peter to start cutting off people's ears, okay? He wanted people, Peter to say, hey, if they come after you, defend yourself because the person they should be coming after is me. And that's why Jesus said, hey, let them go. I'm the one you came for. He wanted them to be able to defend himself, which is perfectly biblical. Just this past week in the news, and you probably didn't hear about it because the news doesn't like to report this stuff, three thugs knocked on the guy's door and kicked it in and did a home invasion. One of them had a gun. The guy at the door had a gun also, but in the scuffle, he dropped his gun, and, the, and the other, one of the three picked it up. So now two of the three are armed. The, the, the guy living in his house ran into a back bedroom, grabbed his AR-15, came back out, took out all three, wounded two. I don't know about the other one. He ended up in the hospital, but these guys went out running his house, and he shot them before they were able to get out. And, then, and you know what one of the reporters said to the sheriff reporting on this news? Will there be charges pressed against the homeowner? <laughs> Are you stupid? These guys kicking his door to rob and to kill him. He defends himself, and you want to know if you're going to press charges against him? Of course, the sheriff had the same attitude I did. He wasn't really happy about it. But Jesus totally defends your right to defend yourself. So if you say, well, I don't believe in guns. I just believe in trusting God or calling 911. You know the average response time of 911 is 6 minutes and 15 seconds. They got plenty of time to kill you and get out of your house. You have a right, a God-given right, to defend yourself. So I'm going off here on the Second Amendment, but I'm going to because the Second Amendment, just like most of the Constitution, comes from the Bible. Jesus gave you the right to defend yourself, so there you go. All right, so Peter draws a sword, and so there's two ways you can cut off someone's ear when you're trying to kill him. He's not aiming for the ear. One is it's an overhead swing, like, you're trying to just get the guy right in the head, and the guy goes, ah, and gets the ear. The other one is you make a lunge for the throat, and the guy dodges, and you, you cut off the ear that way. Um, but anyway, this is a servant of the high priest. Don't think like someone, like a, a janitor servant. This is a temple guard, okay? That's, he serves in the temple of the high priest to defend the high priest, to, to keep, he like basically is a security officer. And he cuts off his ear, John gives us some more details. It says, and then Simon Peter tells us who it was. Having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cut his ear, and the servant's name was Malchus. What's fascinating about Malchus is, and we don't know for sure, but a little about 80 years later, there's named by some early church fathers an elder in a church named Malchus. Now, not a totally uncommon name, but I think the reason that de- the reason Whenever you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John giving names, because, you know, they always say a woman or a man or whatever, or a servant, and they don't always name everybody. Whenever they do give names, they're trying to give that to the readers, like, hey, if you want to check the story, there's Malchus over there. Go talk to him. 
That's why they'll give uh, Simeon, the son of Cephas, or whatever, they'll give details so that people could verify the stories that the Gospels were true. So when people tell you, well, the Gospels evolved over hundreds of years, and Jesus really wasn't God at first, but eventually they elevated him to God, and they kept rewriting him, that's not true. The Gospels were only written decades after all this happened, and they named people so that Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John could say, hey, if you don't believe us, go talk to people. We named them in our, in our, our historical account. And so Malchus was one of those people that you could go check with. Luke twenty-two fifty says, And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Luke is a doctor. He gives us specific details. He tells us which ear it was. Now, why would you put in there the right ear? If this is just legend and fable and myths, why do you give such specific medical detail? It's because it actually happened. That's the way it was. Luke got firsthand accounts from those who were there. And Jesus says, hey, no more of this. This, I'm one of you to defend yourself. You don't have to defend me. And then Jesus touched his ear and he healed him. That's why I think Malchus got saved. Here he there, he's there to arrest the Savior of the world. And the Savior of the world is loving him and heals his ear. Here's, a, here's what it could have been like. Pretty amazing there. 
Um, the one detail that's not accurate about all that is there was a whole lot more soldiers there than that. <laughs> but it just basically shows like a half dozen. But Jesus says to them, and whenever Jesus asks questions, we should pay close attention. He says, if you come out against as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me, day after day I was with you in the temple teaching. Could have arrested me then. You didn't seize me. But hey, let the scriptures be fulfilled. You know, go ahead and do what you're going to do. Everything you're doing right now against me has been prophesied. You're just puppets. You have free will to choose, but God knew what you would choose. And then referring to the disciples, how many of them left him? They all left him. And they ran. The good news of this story, we know how it ends, is they all but Judas came back and were used mightily of God to turn the world upside down. But I think... Jesus prophesied their fall because God uses broken people. I know that firsthand. Many of you do too. Many times your life has to literally fall apart and you have to be face down before God and say, God, why? Why is all this happening? So that we can become fully dependent upon his grace. And then, and only then, are we ready to be used of God. When we realize that when I am weak, then he is strong. You see, that's what keeps most people from being saved. And that's the way you and I were before we got saved. We're like, I can do this. I can do this. And it's when you realize, I can't do this. Life is too hard. I can't go through this without a Savior. I need Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus allowed them all to fall away so they could all be brought back and restored. So then we learned before that a young man, we don't know who it is. Some people think it's Mark, who's the writer of the gospel, and he wants to rename remain anonymous because he's being humble. He followed along, and he had nothing but a linen cloth. Now, you have linen in your house. What do you, where do you put the linen cloths in your house? On your bed. So this guy was asleep somewhere in a home nearby. He hears a ruckus in the garden, and he jumps up, and all he has on is his night clothes. He doesn't want to run outside. Back then, if you basically had your undergarments on, they called that naked. So he grabs the bed sheet and rubs it around him, runs out to the garden. He sees lanterns and he goes out there and sees torches and he runs up and sees what's happening. They think he's one of the disciples. They grab the bed sheet. He runs out of the bed sheet and runs away naked, whether that's fully naked like we would say or naked in the terms of undergarments only. Either way, he runs away. And, and he runs away because he's ashamed to stand with Jesus and to suffer with Jesus. And I think Mark is also throwing himself under the bus like all the disciples, like, hey, I failed too. Maybe that's what's going on in this passage right here. So we move from the satanic betrayal to the scandalous trial. The scandalous trial. So they led, him to, they led Jesus to the high priest. When you read your Bible, pause and read it slowly. Who is Jesus? Who, who did John the Baptist say Jesus was? The Lamb of God. And where is he being led? To the high priest. What did the high priest do to the Lamb? He slit his throat. He killed him. He let out his blood as an offering for the world. You see, this is, this is a lot of biblical language being involved in here. We need to read our Bibles carefully. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, they came together. And so this is a picture of Jesus being the Lamb of God, take away the sins of the world. What did the Lamb do wrong? Nothing. This even goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Jesus told Adam and Eve, he warned them very clearly, he said that don't eat of the fruit of the tree. Because in the day you eat thereof, you will what? Surely die. 
So Adam and Eve sin against God. They run and they hide. They cover fig leaves trying to cover their nakedness. Man's attempt to cover his own sinfulness. And God comes into the garden and says, Adam, where are you? Now, does God not know where Adam is? No, he knows. He, he's asking that rhetorical question because he wants Adam to see where he's at. And Adam's hiding behind a tree covered in itchy fig leaves and he's naked and ashamed. He's ashamed in the presence of God. He's, he's, he's ashamed in the presence of his wife. And he's, here's God say, Adam, where are you? He's like, yeah, where am I? <laughs> Yesterday, I'm out there walking with God in the garden, and I'm enjoying everything. I'm enjoying my wife. I'm enjoying my Savior. I'm enjoying everything. And now what am I doing? I'm cowering like a little child behind a tree naked. <laughs> this is not where I should be. That's what it takes to be saved, by the way, to realize where you are and realize I don't belong here. I was made to be in a loving relationship with my creator, God of the universe. And what am I doing? I'm living my own little life over here, trying to put on my own little fig leaves to cover things up. And so all throughout history, we see animals sacrificed as not that their blood could ever do anything, right? Hebrews tells us that the blood of lambs and goats and bulls, they can never take away sin permanently. All those things were a picture of Jesus Christ to come. And that's why even Orthodox Jews to this day still don't, they don't sacrifice. They don't sacrifice because Jesus was the one and only sacrifice to take away sin for all mankind. So Peter followed him, but here's the problem. He followed him at a distance. And, and I was that way one time in my, my Christian walk. I followed Jesus, but not real closely. I, I hope that we don't suffer from that sin that we follow Jesus but yeah we're not that close you know I, I don't want to be that fanatical I don't want people to think I'm a Jesus freak or anything we can go to an Astros game and go berserk right but well don't want to be kind of kind of chill it down when it comes to Jesus you know you don't want to follow him too closely that that's that's Peter's problem here and then he was right into the courtyard and of the high priest which it shouldn't trials don't happen at the high priest's house so the high priest has a really nice house with a nice courtyard. This is where this trial is going to take place. That's illegal, by the way. We'll talk about that in a second. And where, where does Peter find himself? He's sitting with the guards. The guards who just arrested his disciples. Isn't it funny? When you follow Jesus at a distance, you think maybe you're in neutral land. No, no. You're with the enemy. You're with the enemy. Jesus says, if you're not for me, you are against me. I know this is hard truth, but this is the reality of what it is. I mean, John, who was Jesus' best friend, had really hard words to say for the church of Laodicea. He said, you are lukewarm. And Jesus wants to just spew out of his mouth. Lukewarm Christianity is not something that pleases God at all. Following Jesus from a distance doesn't please him at all. And, and what, is, what is Peter doing while he's sitting with the enemy? He's warming Who? himself. When you follow Jesus at a distance, you become incredibly selfish. It's all about you and your own comfort. And um, so Mark likes to make sandwiches. He talks about a story, then he talks about something else, and then he goes back and finishes the story. This is one of them. He starts to talk about Peter, but then he gets into the trial. He'll come back to Peter in just a second. Um, so now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus. They had to go out and find, hey, does anybody know something bad to say about Jesus? They had no witnesses of their own. They had to go out and ask, anybody know it's something bad? Well, somebody willing to testify against Jesus? We'll pay you. You know, we'll pay you to testify against Jesus. And, and they found what? None. <laughs> Nobody had anything bad to say about Jesus. That was pretty amazing. So, 
and, and then they, so they end up finding somebody they could bribe, and many bore false witness against them, but their testimony did not agree. Let me tell you, you can go on YouTube or any social media and see all the people blasting Christianity, and blast Christianity, oh, there's contradictions in the Bible, or Christians are haters, and Jews, and all that stuff. And you know what? Even their own statements contradict themselves. They can all be refuted easily. It's interesting how they say, oh, Christians hate homosexuals. No, we don't. We preach it all the time how we love them. We've had several that have been a part of our church at different times. We love them. We, we pray for them. We don't condone their lifestyle. Affirmation of your lifestyle doesn't mean I hate you. It doesn't. And you can call me a hater all day long. You don't like the way I live. Does that make you a hater? You don't agree with my theology. Does that mean you hate me? I don't. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. If you say you don't hate me, then you don't hate me. But don't say we hate you because we don't approve of your lifestyle. Because we want to teach our children differently and we have a different set of values of right and wrong. And ours happen to be right, by the way. But their testimony didn't agree. And that's the way it works. And they stood up and they bore false witness against them anyway. The people lied. Now here's the thing. The penalty for bearing false witness against somebody is if you get caught, you get the crime that they would have been punished for. And what were, how were they wanting to punish Jesus? Death. So these false witnesses, what should have happened to them? Death. But they didn't ha- it didn't happen. No charges were pressed. Uh, and they heard him say, here's what they quoted Jesus. Now watch how they misquote him. If you know your Bible, you can see this is obviously they're adding words. He says, I will destroy this temple. And then they added the words, that is made with hands. Did Jesus say that? No, he didn't. And in three days, I will build another not made with, with hands. And again, neither... The ones in yellow, Jesus didn't say. Here's what Jesus actually said in John 2. Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And he was speaking of the temple of his body. And you say, well, Gary, that's a stretch. Well, no, that's how people refer to the body. Your body was a temple that God made to worship the Lord. And then, so Jesus is referring to his own body. And, he, and did Jesus raise up his body in three days? Absolutely. Anybody else do that? I don't think so. And yet, even about this, their testimony did not agree. So they couldn't even get this right, this falsified charge. And so the high priest stood up in the midst. And so he's like, okay, none of my witnesses can seem to get their heads on straight. Let me just go directly to Jesus here and see if he will self-incriminate. He said, have you no answer to make? Well, guess what Jewish law was? They had the same thing that we have in the form of a Fifth Amendment. If you go to court, do you have to testify against yourself? No. And he's trying to get Jesus to testify against himself, which is illegal. He said, what is it that you need to reply against these guys that are testifying against you? No, he doesn't. He doesn't have, he's not obligated to cross-examine their witnesses. They did a pretty good job of messing themselves up. Jesus like, why do I have to say anything? They're showing you that they don't know what they're talking about. It's pretty obvious that their witnesses couldn't get their act together. So Jesus just remains silent and has no answer. By the way, that also was a prophecy that like a lamb before his shears was dumb or mute, he opened not his mouth. So Jesus fulfills prophecy here again. But now the high priest goes directly to Jesus. Instead of asking about what you've done, let me ask you about who you are. So Jesus will now answer this question because Jesus doesn't have anything to hide about who he is. He doesn't have to testify about what he's done, but he can testify about who he is. He says, are you the Christ, meaning the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? Now Jews would not speak the Lord's name, so they would say things like the Blessed or the Almighty, but they would not say Jehovah or Yahweh. So he says, are you the Son of the Blessed? And watch what Jesus says. I am. That's important right there. Moses sees the burning bush. 
It's burning, but it's not being consumed. He's like, wait a minute, something's going on here. This is supernatural. He approaches it, and the voice of Jehovah God speaks out to him and says, Moses, take off your shoes, because where you're standing is on holy ground. And Moses falls down before him, and he says, I want you to go to Egypt and set my people free. And he says, well, who should I tell Pharaoh has sent me? He says, I am that I am has sent you. Who is Jesus claiming to be? The burning bush. Jehovah God, the God of the Old Testament. They're one and the same. We clearly believe, because the Bible clearly teaches, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God expressed in three persons, three distinct persons, eternally distinct. And Jesus is saying, I am the, I am the great I am. You know what's interesting? All throughout the Old Testament, the, te- the temple was called the Jehovah's house, the Lord's house. What did Jesus walk in there and say? My house. <laughs> You've desecrated my house. Who is he saying he is? That he's saying he's God. So they know this is blasphemy. And he says, and you will see the Son of Man, which is a title from Daniel that he prophesied 100 years in advance. It means when God became human flesh, when God became a man, the Son of God, the Son of Man, you will, here's what, you think you're putting me on trial? You're going to see when I'm seated at the right hand of power and I'm coming in with clouds. Coming with clouds, you know what that means? God's judgment. You think you're judging me? You're going to see me judging you someday, brother. Not really, brother. You know what I'm saying? He said, and Caiaphas is like, oh my gosh. You're going to judge me? This is blasphemy. That's what Jesus was claiming with the whole, coming on clouds, it's not just some angelic picture of the rapture, which is, we believe in the rapture, but it's not just a picture of that. It's talking about when God comes on clouds, that means judgment clouds. That's where thunder and lightning comes and a picture of God's judgment. This comes from Daniel. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and to him, God the Father gives to the Son, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. So when Jesus said this, you will see the Son of Man coming on clouds. It's a hyperlink to this passage that the high priest knew well. Wait a minute, you're claiming that you're the one that's going to have a kingdom and we're all going to bow down and worship you? And that's what he finds as blasphemy. So he tore his garments, which is what high priests would do in the presence of blaspheming God. And he says, what further witnesses do we need? Well, you need further witnesses because the ones you have aren't very good. And so he's basically saying he's a witness against himself. He's self-incriminated because he's committed blasphemy, which ironically he didn't. He spoke the truth. They believed a lie. He calls it what he thinks it is. You've heard this blasphemy. And then he says, what is your decision? Now, whenever the 72 elders of the high council had a vote to pass judgment on someone, they voted one at a time, and they started with the youngest. You know why they started with the youngest? So that the youngest guys wouldn't give in to peer pressure. They'd hear all the evidence, and they'd vote first. Because if the oldest guys vote first, they're like, oh, well, they know more than me. I guess I should vote the way they voted. So they started with the youngest. But Caiaphas throws that rule away, which is illegal, and says, hey, everybody, let's just vote by consensus. All in favor? Aye, aye. You know, and they all yell and all that, which makes me believe that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea probably kept silent, probably didn't vote against your Lord, but that, that's my speculation right here. But think of all that just happened in this, this very scandalous trial. They couldn't find any witnesses against Jesus at first, and then they had to pay people to lie, and those guys couldn't cut their story straight. And then Jesus lovingly speaks the truth of who he is 
and they accuse him of blasphemy, why would they find him guilty? It's because of bias. And before we get too hard on them, we're all biased. You know, parents, you can be biased when it comes to your kid. Some kid gets in trouble at school, and you're like, oh yeah, figures, I know that kid was nothing but trouble. Then you get the same call from the teacher about your kid, oh, that can't be right. My little angel, she wouldn't hurt anybody. You know, my kid cheat? What, are you kidding? You know, we, we're really biased. We're biased about our kids, but we're even more biased about ourselves. You know, we talk about the media being biased. You know, even sports media is biased. It, I mean, I used to love to watch ESPN and read ESPN, and ever since they got t- taken over by Disney, it's like they're horrible. It's just ESPN is horrible. So you, how many of you follow the Astros? Okay, so... All ESPN wants to talk about is their New York teams. The Mets and the Yankees, they're the best teams in baseball. The Astros go up there, sweep the Mets, and then take, have taken five out of seven. Five out of seven from the Yankees. And who, who does ESPN still rank as the number one team in America? The Yankees. We just busted you in the chops in your own stadium, and you're going to call it, say we're still number two? They're biased, but we're all biased. And that's the problem. You see, let's say there is a big court case about some insider trading in the stock market and it goes before a judge and she looks at this and she says wait a minute I'm an investor in this stock what is she going to do who knows the reward for it she's going to recuse herself say I I can't be unbiased I want that stock to do well I'm an investor in that I can't be a judge she's going to recuse herself from that but guess what when it comes to judging yourself you can't recuse yourself And when it comes to judging who Jesus really is, you can't step away and say, well, I'm biased. You have to overcome your bias and realize that you are, to realize that your own sin, your own selfishness, your own goals, and your own pride are blinding you, and you need to put them aside and judge what's going on here and judge Jesus for yourself without bias. You've got to set that aside. So here this high priest is in the face of Jesus, accusing him of all this, and look at who he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be the religious leader of Israel, and here he is face to face with his Messiah, but because of his own sinfulness to want to hold on to power, he hates Jesus. You see, there's, there's a hatred here. This is more than just, oh, well, we were mistaken, we got it wrong on Jesus. No, they hate Jesus. And you know, the problem with the peop- many people that you share Jesus with, their problem is not they just haven't seen enough truth or if they could hear a philosophical argument and fit why atheism is wrong, Christianity is true. No, let me just tell you, they are in the same situation you were before you got saved. The Bible says that while we were enemies, Christ died. You have to see yourself as an enemy of Christ and you've got to raise the white flag and say, I surrender. I give up. That you are, you are the one, you win the battle and you get my life. You see, and then they began, not just the high priest, but each one of the elders, the 70, to spit on Jesus. And then they cover his face with some type of cloth, blindfold him, basically, and they punch him in the face. And they say to him, hey, prophesy, you're a prophet, why don't you just tell us who just hit you? That's the word blows means, punches to the face. This was an incredibly scandalous trial. The Supreme Court of Israel, which is what the Sanhedrin did, was built on the premise that everyone in a trial is entitled to three things. It has to be a public trial. Was this public? No, they did it in the middle of the night because they knew the the public would be against it. 
And also, they're, they're providing an opportunity to defense. They get a defense lawyer just like everybody else. Did Jesus get someone to defend him? No. And then no conviction was to be made without at least two or three witnesses. Did any of the witnesses agree? Again, none of them. Every, every one of these things, they failed on. And any false witness would pay the price of what they were accusing the other one of. Uh, the binding of a prisoner before he was condemned was unlawful, but yet they bound them with chains in the garden. It was illegal for judges to participate in the rest of the accused, but they did. They're the ones that, that, that uh, ordered the binding. The high priest rent his garments, which he was never permitted to do, in his official robe. Um, other illegal things that happened here were that no court was to be happened at, at night, and they have it did in the middle of the night. They could not convene in any other place than the judgment hall. They had it at the home of the high priest in his courtyard. They could not convene in the late afternoon, lest the just, justice be hurried up or rushed to get over before the day was ended. No one could be executed the same day in which he was tried. Jesus was crucified hours later. No trial for execution would be held on a feast day, which they were doing this on the Passover, but that's because Jesus is the Passover lamb. And so, therefore, uh, they had to be a day in between the trial and the execution. There was no pause there. All the votes had to be carefully counted, which they weren't. It was just a consensus vote. And no one could be incriminated himself by giving testimony against himself. And yet, that's how they incriminated Jesus. This was, indeed, the greatest miscarriage of justice of all of history. We've seen bad trials. We've seen all kinds of crazy things happen in our lifetime. None of them compare to this. And here's the one who brings justice to the world and he receives none. Here's the one who is a million percent innocent and he's treated as if he's totally guilty. But yet, don't feel sorry for Jesus because he says in John 10, no one takes it from me, my life, but I lay down my life of my own accord. I have authority to lay down my life. I have authority to take it up, which referring to the resurrection. This charge I've received from my father. He said, you think you're, you're sentencing me to death. The Father is the one who has sentenced me to death because I'm dying for your sins. Jesus says in Matthew 26, do you think that I can't appeal to my Father? You know, when Peter's trying to fight, he says, hey, Peter, put your sword down. You don't think I can just ask my Heavenly Father and at once he will send me more than 12 legions of angels? The number of, in a legion varied depending on what point in history, but it's approximately 6,000 soldiers. A Roman legion was approximately 6,000 soldiers. And Jesus says, I can get 12 times 6,000. What's your math on that? 72,000 angels like that if I wanted to. You don't think that when Jesus is suffering that it crosses his mind, <laughs> let me call the angels. But he didn't because he loves you. He didn't because he loves me. He was on a mission to do what... And you think about that. And, and these angels, don't think of little babies in diapers with harps, okay? Please blow that away. This is a really good rendition of what an angel looked like. Every time someone saw an angel, they fell down terrified, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Because angels were very frightful, intimidating-looking uh, angelic beings that God had created. And in the Old Testament, um, in Isaiah, one angel killed 185,000 soldiers. So now take 72,000 times 185,000. About 19 billion people God could kill like that. Do you think these couple hundred soldiers couldn't be taken out if Jesus just wanted them to? So let's move on to the, the sad denials. We talked about the satanic betrayal and the scandalous trial. Let's talk about the sad denial. So Peter 
was in the courtyard, and one of the servant girls, and the word girl here means girl, like prepucescent girl, so we're talking 11 or 12-year-old girl or even younger, she came out, she's serving the high priest, she comes out, she sees Peter warming himself by the fire, and she says, hey, you were with Jesus the Nazarene. And she just boldly speaks out. It's interesting, the contrast between the little girl who speaks out boldly, doesn't have any trouble speaking disrespectfully to a grown man. And he, Jesus, I mean, Peter here tries to be, play the uh, Noah Blespanol game here. Uh, I don't really understand what you're saying, what you mean. I don't speak your language. Is what he's trying to, it's what this means here, okay? And he says, uh, and, and then as soon as he says that, what Jesus told him would happen just hours before in the garden, the cock crows. So we're between midnight and three, when the, what they call the first crow. And three, between three and six is the second crow. So here this first cock crows. And I think Jesus is trying to say, hey, you got a chance. You can make this right. You can make this right. Like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, my gosh. He told me I would do this. Yeah, okay, I do know him. I, I was scared. I was nervous. But, yeah, I do know him. Deal with it. You know, I, if you want to take me too, great. But I don't, he, Peter ignores the yellow light here. And the servant girl saw him again, again to say, to buy hey, 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 this guy right here, he's one of them. You know, and again, she's speaking out boldly, but Peter is being cowardly. And again, he denies it. And a little while, the, the bystanders again, now the crowd's chiming in. Certainly you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. So Peter is from southern Israel. He's probably saying, hey, y'all, what's up? You know, I'm fixing to go. Get... You know, he's speaking with a, an accent that tells where he's from. And now he's trying to change the way he talks, but they, his accent is giving him away. And he began to invoke a curse on himself. Hey, if, if, if I'm lying, God strike me dead. Something like that. And he begins to swear a curse at them. He says, I do not know this man. Which is so ironic because this is what Jesus says on Judgment Day. Depart from me, I never knew you. But let's move on here. He says, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And so now Peter breaks down and cries. But you know what? Breaking down and crying is not a sign of true repentance. Judas will break down and cry. So what happens now? What do you do with your tears? Luke 22, add some detail. So Jesus is up here exalted on the, the platform of the courtyard Peter's below out there by the fire, just from like from me to Brother Carl. I mean, the distance is not far at all. And Jesus is being beaten, and he looks over after Peter denies him, eyes meet. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord. That'd be a hard situation to be in, to look into the eyes as he's suffering for you. You're denying him. Here's what that might have been like. Turn it up, please. Echo, Anna. 
Son para nasce teu pai min khail teu pai anesha Peter made a promise that he would follow Jesus even to death. He didn't keep it. But Jesus did. Jesus stayed with Peter even through death. And Jesus loved Peter all the way. And even after his resurrection, he said, Peter, do you love me? And he restored Peter to ministry and Peter became bold. Fifty days later, when Pentecost comes down and the Holy Spirit fills people, Peter's before this same Sanhedrin, the same group of people proclaiming the gospel, even at the risk of his own life with capital punishment. What changed from Peter 50 days earlier to 50 days later? The Holy Spirit of God. You see, when we walk in the flesh and we do life on our own, we're going to betray the Lord. And if you've ever publicly sinned against the Lord 
and embarrassed yourself and more so your Christ, you know how much that hurts. But isn't it amazing that Jesus loves us anyway? I just never am amazed, never cease to be amazed at the love and faithfulness of Christ. Even though we promise to be faithful to him to death, he's the only one that keeps that promise. So why did Peter fail? It's because he boasted too much. Oh, everybody else may fall away, but not me. He prayed too little. Jesus says, hey, can't you stay awake for one hour? He followed too far behind. I'm going to want to know what's happening with Jesus, but I don't want to follow too closely. And then he acted too impulsively. In other words, he was living in the flesh. And you are, if you live in the flesh long enough, you're not spending time in the Word, you're a little too self-confident, you're not on your knees and praying, and you're following Jesus at a distance, it's only a matter of time between, before you or I will fail Jesus as well. There's different ways that we deny Jesus. We deny him with our lifestyle. You can claim to be Christ if your lifestyle doesn't back it up. Please just be quiet. Your lifestyle is contradicting it. Or you can deny Jesus with your words like, like Peter did. You, like, you talk a certain way that people are like, wow, they're a Christian, but they talk a really disrespectful way. Or you can deny Jesus just by staying silent. People in the room talking about religion, talking about spiritual things, talking about Jesus or whether he's real or not. And we, in our shame, stay quiet. So we saw the satanic betrayal, the scandalous trial, and we saw the sad denials. But let's just make this personal for a moment. I know I've been much longer than I normally am, but please just hold with me for just a few more minutes. First of all, betrayal happens by all of us. Before we get too hard on Peter, we've all done it. And if you don't think you have, you just need a little more self-examination. Just read the scriptures and see how they point at us. Also, Jesus was put through a scandalous trial, but really all of us are judges of Jesus. You get a chance to, be, to judge Jesus in his lifetime before he judges you. You can judge, is he real or not? Is he the Savior or not? And if you judge and make the decision, yes, he is my Savior, then, then you will be saved. But if you're like, oh, I don't believe in this Jesus stuff, I'm not really sure, and all that stuff like that, then you will be judged by him later. And then third, like Peter's denial, it's your choice. Peter's denial was prophesied, but it didn't mean he didn't have free will, and you too have free will. You can put this decision off, you can say, oh, maybe later, maybe some other time, but which one of these two failures, which we all are failures, which one you will be depends on what you do with it. You see, the difference between them was it was Godly grief and worldly grief. Peter had godly grief. He was really not just sorry he got caught, not just sorry he was in a bad situation, but he was sorry for his sin, and therefore he received salvation. Judas had worldly grief. He was just, and it produced death. Literally, it produced his own suicide. And someone actually texted me this morning and asked, if suicide means you automatically go to hell? No, it does not. You could die drunk while driving a car, if you're saved, you go to heaven. You, could buy, you can dry, die an overdose on drugs. It's not how you die. It's whether you got saved while you were alive. So Jesus died for all sins. There's nowhere in the Bible that says suicide is the unforgivable sin. That's how Judas chose to die without repenting. Romans 10.9 says, If you, if you'll exercise your choice to confess with your mouth, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. I believe in my heart that you died for my sins, that you were buried, and God rose you from the dead. If you believe that, what happens to you? You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Do you know Christ this morning? I would like for everyone to please, if you would, just for a moment, bow your heads and, and pray. 
Those of you who know Christ Jesus and you love him and you follow him, would you pray for those who don't? Would you pray that the, the Holy Spirit of God would remove the scales from their eyes? And if you're here watching online or in person and you don't know Christ, today you can trust him. He died in your place. He took the punishment that should have been yours. He gave his life so you could give yours to his. Would you do that right now in faith? Father, thank you so much for the love of Jesus Christ, for all that he endured for us. May we not deny him by the way we live, by the way we talk, or with our silence. May we openly, boldly proclaim him as Peter did at Pentecost. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made a decision to trust Christ, you can, there's my phone number. Contact me. Let's talk. I want to talk to you about your next steps as a new believer. Um, I think we'll take one question today, <laughs> if there is any, because um, we're way past time, and I don't want to you know, keep your kids back there too long. So um, let me, if I can pull my glasses out of my pocket here. Let me just do that. I'll take one question real quick. All right. Give me just a second here. And then the other questions, I'll, I'll answer you directly later. I just don't want to keep it longer. So someone asked, though, do you think God has the ability to make us do things we do not want to do? I understand we have free will, but does he have the power to intervene? If so, could have God forced Judas against his will to fulfill scripture for my salvation uh, because God loved me that much and his son had to die? No, the answer is no. Judas had free will. If God forced Judas to do something wrong, then God would be the criminal. Okay, God has, God is sovereign, he's totally in control, but yet man has free will. Now how we justify those two, I, my little brain cannot comprehend it. Let me give you a quick illustration that I think you'll remember. How many remember, um, uh, is it Jimmy Fisher, the, the chess player back in the 70s? Is it Jimmy Fisher? Bobby Fisher, world champion chess player. And he would go over, during the Cold War, would go over to Russia and play multiple of the and Russia chess is their game and he would beat them and yet people commented on the way he played that he was so good he had total control over the board yet the other player had free will to move where he wanted but yet he kept arranging the board to force them to go where he wanted them to go but wasn't forcing their choice he was just leaving them certain choices if you if you know what I'm talking about if you play chess so it wasn't that Bobby Fischer denied the other person their choice he was just so good that he was in total control of the board and that's, that's an analogy that helps me remember um, what Jesus did for us and, what, and how we do have free will and that you do have a choice. All right, let's stand and let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Chris, man, thank you again for being here today, Joanna. And uh, we, we really are glad you. Would you pray for us and, and, uh, and pray us out this morning?